Welcome to the Center Mid Philosopher. This episode is brought to you by Augustus Royale Fashion. Life's not black and white, it's gray, and gray is beautiful. Check out the brand below in the link. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this week's episode of the Center Mid Philosopher. Got a really cool mini series we're launching called 101 Deadliest Derbies, 101 Dangerous Derbies, 101 Fiercest Derbies. Um, and as you'll hear and, and watch, um, by no means are we celebrating um, some of the dark things amongst these derbies, derbies, if you will. Um, however, uh, as we talk about a lot in this show, um, it's part of the game, like it or not. And um, you know, again, we're not celebrating it by any means. It is just interesting. And it's really cool to go a little bit deeper on a lot of these derbies. And, you know, when I first started researching for this, it was going to be top 10. And then I was like, oh, there's no way it's going to be top 20, then or top 50. And I was like, man, we're getting to top 80. And I was like, let's just go for the full 101. And, um, you know, when I fell in love with the game, I think of many things that I was captivated by, by one of the top was just the absolute bedlam that fans would induce and mass hysteria and just seeing fandom on that scale is, I don't know how anyone, it wouldn't be captivated by it and nothing quite induces mass hysteria like a good old fashioned Darby and it's really fascinating too. I, I, as I told Zach when I was preparing this, I feel like I was studying for an AP history test because you, as soon as you dig one layer deeper, you start getting into industrialization, geopolitical, class warfare, religion, politics, assassination attempts. I mean, it, it gets really deep and uh, really intense and really complicated really, really fast. And I'm going to do my best and just bear with me on some of the pronunciations of these names. I know I got a bit of a Southern drawl, but I'm going to do my best. Um, but you're going to hear things like the assassination of uh, Archduke Franz Ferdinand, Industrial Revolution, Colombian drug cartels, um, stabbings, um, you know, um, things you couldn't even fathom, uh, uh, fan avalanches. I mean, just banana stuff. And so I really hope you guys enjoy it. And we're going to continue to visit this throughout the year. And there'll be 10 of them. So this is the first of the 10 part episode, 101 deadliest derbies, derbies. Um, and again, I should mention, we're not really going in sequential order, because how do you how do you measure what it, it you start saying best? Well, it feels kind of weird saying best for some that are actually just extremely dangerous and hurtful and mean. So best didn't feel quite right. And then it was like most dangerous and that didn't feel quite right. So we're actually kind of just going in a random order and we're, cause it felt a little bit wrong to say, well, more people died in this Derby. So we're putting them at number seven. That just didn't feel right. Hard to put a metric on it for sure. Yeah. And so, um, again, we're not celebrating that. I mean, you know, um, so throughout the goal, each episode is to pepper some of the ones that you are familiar with, along with ones that you've maybe never even heard of from regions and countries that you didn't even know exist and maybe learn some new things and also learn a little bit deeper about, 
you know, some of the teams that maybe you do follow, but learn a little bit more about how the rivalry came to be. Um, so, uh, right off the top, we're going to start with Der Klassiker, uh, Feyenoord versus Ajax, uh, by far the biggest one in the Netherlands. And, you know, at the core of this derby is, um, as will be the case of many of these derbies, is uh, two cities that have very, very different identities, uh, both um, economically as well as politically, uh, culturally. Um, so Rotterdam is actually has the second biggest port in all of Europe. And Feyenoord origin is actually that of a lot of uh, dock workers. And Rotterdam is a very hardworking industrial city, and they view themselves as hard workers and a little bit maybe more of the working class, whereas Ajax is viewed of that of um, intellectuals, artists, creative thinkers, um, you know, a little bit more urban, if you will. And, you know, of course, they're viewed as by far the most cocky of the two. And, you know, I was watching some prep of a famous um, IX podcast, and he would say, you know, the worst thing that Rod about Rotterdam thinks of us is when they realize we don't think about them much at all. You know, they're just very conceited. And, um, but, you know, this rivalry is littered with homemade bombs, attack on players, sick chance, violence, lots of violence. Um, you know, one of, um, Rotterdam actually has the highest percentages of non-foreigners in all of Holland. Um, nearly half of the population is not native to Holland. Um, you know, they're polarized politically, as I mentioned, kind of cultural. But, you know, Amsterdam, as you would probably imagine, is much more liberal, maybe even socialist leaning. Whereas Rotterdam is that much more of right wing, you know, uh, kind of native, you know. And, um you know, there's a lot of phrases to, to encapsulate this, but they say, you know, Amsterdam to party, Hague to live, Rotterdam to work. Or they say Amsterdam to dream, Rotterdam to work. Kind of reminds me of like L.A. versus Detroit or something like manufacturing well, versus creatives. I mean, not apples to apples, but one that comes to mind is the Yankees, Red Sox, you know, or or That's L.A., the, the Celtics versus the Lakers, you know, kind of the flash versus the the grit of Boston, you know, it, that would be a really good analogy. Um, and so a couple crazy moments in the history of the Derby uh, in 2004, Feyenoord midfielder Jorge Acuna was hospitalized after Ajax hooligans attacked him at a reserve team match. Um, again, none of these are great things, but they're pretty wild and interesting. 1997 in a field motorway between Amsterdam and Rotterdam to, um, ultra uh, firms organized a prearranged clash in a field. Uh, literally, those described it as a scene from Braveheart, like running full speed to each other with knives, bats, poles. Um, it became known as the Battle of uh, Beverwick. Um, and in that rivalry, I mean, and in that clash, um, a, a guy named Carlo Picorni, who was once a huge hooligan kind of came out of retirement for this clash and it was actually um beaten to death in a muddy field and then another ix follower ran to kind of save him and he was stabbed twice in the lungs so 
again, these are horrifying things. Um, we're not celebrating it, but it, you may not have known that. Now, you might watch I actually and find orders a little bit differently now. Um, it wasn't even that long ago. No. I mean, 97 sounds like something that happened in the 20s. Right. Right. Um, you know, and then, of course, there's um, pouring gasoline on the, the rivalry was that Johan Cruyff, everyone thinks of as uh, the of Ajax and he is but many maybe don't realize he actually uh, finished out his career with Feyenoord um it was he was a little bit pissed because um he wanted to stay at Ajax but they wouldn't re-sign him because he was getting into his mid to late 30s and he ended up and of course the Feyenoord fans hated him I mean they did they booed him for a while he ended up winning him over though because they won he actually took him to the title um playing against the likes of uh, Van Basten and uh, Ruud Hullet and those kinds of folks. And so he he ended up being a savior, but he's one that crossed enemy lines. Playing into your mid to late 30s back then, I mean, yeah, I, that's amazing. Yeah, no, absolutely. So that's uh, Der Klassiker, Ajax for Feyenoord. Uh, jumping to number two, um, it's uh, FC Copenhagen versus Brondby in, in Denmark. Um, so Brondby is the much, much more historic club that's been around for decades and decades, almost 100 years. Um, both Laudrup brothers played there, as did Peter Schmeichel. Um, it's definitely the blue blood old school team. And they have a real hatred for FC Copenhagen because many people don't maybe don't realize, but FC Copenhagen is actually a relatively new club. It's only been around for about 25, 30 years, and they hit the ground running. I mean, they came in and started winning titles. And so, Bronby very much views them as this kind of nouveau riche, you know, cocky newcomer. Um, and again, very similar to, you're gonna see this in almost all these derbies, is that it's right back where we were with Feyenoord, uh, Ajax, is FC Hope Copenhagen is that of the city center, um, intellectual kind of successful hotshot businessmen and women and then Bromby is the suburbs the people that work hard you know are trying to preserve history of Denmark whereas um, FC Copenhagen is much more progressive um, and you know much more gentrified and you know FC Copenhagen is um, and so it's a real, it's a really hot rivalry. Um, the athletic did a, a whole uh, deep dive on it. It's a really, really cool one, and um, definitely encourage you, viewers and listeners, to watch that one. Uh, and you know, of course, now, especially FC Copenhagen, there's just constantly phenomenal players coming out of there. I mean, the Rasmus Hoyland um, and his brother, actually, his little brother, still plays there. Um, actually, has two, two twin younger brothers, and they're both sick. Um, so anyway, uh, a lot of great players come out of that rivalry and, um, you know, a lot of fans have really looked to Denmark in the Danish league as, you know, kind of what Europe used to be like and what maybe the EPL used to be like 30, 40 years ago. So check that one out. Going to throw an MLS one in here. Number three, um, hell is real FC Cincy versus Columbus crew. They just battled. Uh, the other night, actually, uh, in the MLS uh, semifinals, um, a, a real thriller. Um, 
looks like FC Cincy had it, but Columbus Crew came roaring back one three to two. Um, what's cool about that? You know, there's not a lot to go into depth on this one because hey, look, MLS we're we're brand new to all this, and these rivalries are just being forged. And but you know maybe you'll learn about this. And you know, interesting, a lot of these derbies is all about branding, just kind of branding it from the get go. And the reason it's called Hell Is Real is because there's this really long stretch of highway in between Columbus and Cincinnati of just kind of nothingness. And right at the absolute center <clears throat> is a sign that this farmer hung up, uh, has had hung up for years um, called, and it just says hell is real. And it's a very, you know, it's religious and it's encouraging people to embrace Christianity. Um, he by no means intended it to be used for uh, an MLS Derby, um, but it's really cool. And the, the both sets of fans have really embraced that as the moniker of the Derby. And again, it's brand spanking new, but it's a really cool one. And, um, you know, watch that one as the years unfold. And, you know, both have really rabid fan bases and, um, you know, have been really, really successful in the MLS. I mean, Columbus Crews viewed as kind of one of the, the OGs and uh, FC Cincy has just done fantastic uh, upon entering the league. Um, so Columbus is that is like one of those teams when I think of the MLS, it's like one of the first ones that I think of, kind of like your your um, your staple. Uh, hopefully no uh, hopefully no stabbings recently. And that yeah, area. yeah, I know. We're you know again, it's I would just I mean we we're gonna throw some MLS ones in here and you know it's it, we're reminded of how young our league is. I mean we're in, in its infancy. I mean. Some of these derbies go back 100, 150 years. So who knows what will happen when the hell, hell is real rivalry in the next 25, 50, 75 years. I mean, you know, things can start out pretty benign. And, you know, so it'd be hard to kind of really uh, anticipate what's all going to happen. But watch that one, guys. Um, Jumping to number four, uh, the Ruhr Derby, the Rivier Derby. So Borussia Dortmund versus Schalke, German. It's called the mother of all derbies. It's in the industrial heartland of Germany, coal and steel. Um, <clears throat> and, you know, uh, Gilsen, Kirchen, and Dortmund, um, it's known as the black and yellows versus the miners. Black and yellows, of course, being Dortmund and the miners being Schalke. Um, and it, this derby's been around for decades and decades, near 100 years now. Um, it really intensified in the 1970s during some economic decline in the Ruhr region, and a lot of the, you know, a lot of the workers in the in the coal and steel factories turned to soccer and football as a, as an escape, and you know, it took out a lot of their frustration in that. Um, you know, interestingly, on this one, there isn't as much of a cultural philosophical political religious divide in this it's more just the teams really are big rivals and really hate each other um <clears throat> and you know soccer hooliganism and um the 19 late 1970s really um stepped up quite a bit and um you know the the violent firms formed of the gilson gilson Shana of the Dortmund and then, um, no, that, I'm sorry, that's Schalke. And then the fascist, uh, Dortmund firm of Borussia Forenta in 1982. Um, 
one of the cool things, you know, we talk about players that have kind of crossed the divide, if you will, or, you know, interesting moments. Some of the maddest moments was Jens Lemon, the goalie. He played for both teams, actually. And one of the wildest moments was um, in uh, 1997, um, he scored a header, a late last second equalizer, and um, a, for, for Schalke against Dortmund. And it was like the first of all time for a goalie to have ever scored in the Bundesliga. Um, and then um, another player that crossed the divide was Andreas Moeller, became an instant villain on both sides when he crossed the divide to join Schalke from, of course, he's more associated with Dortmund in 2000. So that's another, that's a good one, uh, Dortmund versus Schalke, um, the mother of all derbies. Just some players that have played for both. Jens Lemon, mm-hmm. uh, Stefan Freund, Andres Moller, um, and going a little farther back, Ingo Underbrook. Mm-hmm. I hope I probably botched those, but um, yeah, you can see the players crossing that divide, playing for both teams. Yeah, um, so that's a great one. Um, and then you know that we're going to touch on a lot of other derbies within Germany, but that's definitely viewed as one of the biggest ones, and a lot of viewers and listeners that, you know, don't have intimate knowledge of the Bundesliga, maybe don't pay quite as much attention to that one. Even with the lack of form, Schalke is still one of the most popular German teams, at least when it comes to my mind, anyway, thinking about the teams. Yeah, and I mean, you know, Schalke, I mean, they've had some great players. I mean, Klaas-Jan Huntelaar, our very own Weston McKinney, Raul did a little stint there. They haven't quite, they're not... They're not quite what they, you know, you think a little bit more of Dortmund, but I think going 10, 15 years ago, you maybe heard a little bit more about Schalke even. Um, so jumping to the next one, this one's a really good one. Uh, we're really getting into the the wild stuff now here. Is It's known as the Grenal Derby, so it's Grimio versus Internacional. We've talked about Grimio on this show before. Love Grimio. Um, and, um, you know, so that's in the um, the southern part of Brazil, the gaucho country rio grande del sol um and it is extremely extremely polarizing uh gremio is the oldest club founded in in 1903 by uh largely german immigrants and wouldn't you know it the italians didn't love that so much so what they go up and do they formed international um so right there you're just right at the very beginning you've got a cultural difference going back 120 years now um inter has gathered some really great nicknames along the way in the 1940s they were known as the rollo compressor the steam steamroller also known as the factory of aces the champion of it all um which it which makes up what it makes up for in um lack of humility with inclusion so inter is actually viewed as much more of a an inclusive club of all different socioeconomic and it's um they i mean they they champion that to this very day Grimio, not as much um they in fact these are some, we're not going to go into too much detail but you know with um some of like even you know, anti-LGBTQ and racism and some of that stuff. Unfortunately, Grimio has been, um, they've been maligned for some of that lately. And they've really come out and, and they've punished those fans, you know, and, and they've they've owned up to it and they're, tr- they're really trying to be better. But there are some um, 
some undertones of Grimio and that going back away back in the day. Um, it, it's amazing to me, and it's like one of those unexplainable things in sports how, um, especially in soccer, you know, a, a club will kind of take an affinity to a political associate, you know, politically associated. Um, it's one of those like hard to explain yet, you know, something that you see time and time and again, um, you know, a trend of, uh, you know, taking a, a political side, mm-hmm. if you will. Oh, yeah. There, I mean, almost all these have that element to it, um, extremely pronounced. Um, Gremio is known as some of the most intense in fans in Brazil, if not the most intense. Um, and interesting, I was watching about their their pre-match, like it's like tailgating where um, they have like all these grills, like hundreds of them out outside the stadium and you your family can rent a grill and they, they all get out there for, it's sort of like, you know, tailgating SEC football and that kind of stuff. But um, they had to install metal barriers at the bottom of um, where the fans sit because they had this thing known as the avalanche when when they would score, that the fans would just stampede down to the bottom and people were getting so severely injured. You see Boca Juniors does this quite a bit too. Um, and it's look up the avalanche, Gremio. It's, it's really wild. Um, you know, one of the most famous moments in the in the Grinnell Derby is when Ronaldinho was playing for um, Gremio, and he was this hot sensation teenager, and uh, Dunga was playing for Internacional more in the latter part of his career, and Ronaldinho just humiliated him, like juked him so bad, and you know I think he was just having some fun. Well, you know, wouldn't you know it? Eleven years later. Dunga got his revenge being named head coach of Brazil, and who did he not name to the World Cup squad? That'd be Ronaldinho. Interesting. Maybe you didn't know that one. Um, and um, this is going way, way back in some of the wild moments. In 1935, um, Gremio keeper Euricio Lara um, had a significant heart condition and was told not to play. He ended up going on to play in the Derby saved a, a, a penalty kick taken by his very own brother, went on, um, went on to die two months later from the excitement in that derby. Um, pretty wild. Um, you know, and as for Inter, they love to recall 1989. They called it the, the Grinnell of the century. Um, they, uh, in, in front of 80,000 fans, you know, trailing one to nothing, that down to 10 men in the 40 degree Celsius heat. Um, they stormed back to a 2 1 win. Um, you know, Inter dominated, Internacional do, dominated mostly in the 70s, um, and Gremio struggled in the 80s. It was the other way around. Gremio kind of went on to, to dominate. But that's a really, really cool win. And, um, maybe one that you didn't know a lot about, um, but it's, it, you know, really passionate region of Brazil, as we've talked about in the past. Um, Internacional, actually, really cool. Jo- uh, I don't know if any people are watching. Johnny Cardosa, um, the U.S. international that is being tabbed to you know, maybe start getting called up to the U.S. men's national team and is getting viewed by some really European teams. He plays for Internacional, actually. So that's really cool. Um Okay, number six, um, really getting into it. This one, uh, 442 Magazine rates as the number f- number four biggest rivalry in the world, which is Nacional versus Peñarol, right here, Carolina Blue and the yellow and black. Um, 
Montevideo, Central Uruguay. These are this is the oldest derby outside of England, um, and it's they've been playing for over a century. They have faced off over five hundred times. These two clubs, um, Nacional play in Parque Central, built built in nineteen hundred. Uh, it's the oldest stadium in South America. Peñarol play in Estadio de Centenario, which is actually where Uruguay won the first ever World Cup title in that stadium. So two clubs and stadiums steeped in history. Um, Peñarol was founded um, by British railway workers in um, 1891. And interestingly, the yellow and black jersey is because that's what, um, that's what were the cautionary signals for railway workers really interestingly. Um, and Nacional was the first uh, club set up um, not by expats. So it's a very like where Uruguayan um, origins. Um, so Pinarol kind of embraced their gringo moniker, um, whereas Nacional became much of the locals and became very much more of the, the elite. Um, Pinarol has the nickname of the Coleman and the Sunflowers. Um, Nationals largely nicknames are largely color of their jersey based, um, but they're also known as the the bolsos, which means pocket because they're all jerseys. You should have a pocket. Um, uh, what a wild moment uh, in the history of the Derby was in 1933, known as the Derby of the Bag. Derby of the Bag. One of their uh, the physios left their medical bag right by the post, and no one saw it. And like. Um, Someone shot uh, national player shot, and it was going in, but the the bag blocked it from going in. And so they like they commemorate that now. Um, Nineteen forty nine, El Clasico de la Fuga, Derby of the Escape, um, another big one. Um, in nineteen ninety, um, a red card sparked a brawl that resulted in twenty players being sent off. Um, in uh, two thousand. Um, there was a brawl that ended, resulted in nine players spending a month in jail. <laughs> um, Peñarol is, uh, in, in the 1940s, they had a really epic team known as La Magia, the machine. Um, and they, would, they went on to beat Liverpool 5 to nothing, River Plot 3 to nothing. Um, some famous Nacional players, Luis Suarez, uh, Diego Godin, Recoba of Inter, uh, pin, famous Pinarol players, um, Pablo Forlan, Diego Forlan's dad, and Diego Forlan actually did a real short stint there, but he, you know, they claim him as one of their famous alumni as well. Um, in 2014, four players were sent off in a post-match brawl, saw nine spend the night in prison, seven were banned by the FA, and that was a friendly. Um, so oldest, oldest derby outside of England, Nacional versus Pinarol. Um, number seven, getting um, this one's really getting exotic. So, this is uh, East Bengal versus Mohun Bagan in India and spans now into a modern day Bangladesh. Um, Mohun Bagan is um, India's oldest soccer club, football club, and they very much view themselves as true Indian club, whereas East Bengal is kind of become known with Bangladesh. It used to be part of India, then it was annexed and part of Pakistan, and then even more recently, um, 
it was became part of Bangladesh. And so that has that has fueled a lot of the rivalries because like we're an Indian club, you're Bangladesh, even though historically in origin, they both were Indian. Um, and, you know, just set, you know, the backdrop of this Derby is just a really intense, hot, um, lot of poverty in the region. Um, you know, Winston Churchill was famously quoted saying that you better brush your teeth with cola in that region and a lot of, you know, but it's actually, um, become kind of come out of that and viewed as a really vibrant, really interesting, beautiful, highly evolved and cultural cities with universities and schools and theaters and, you know, very much to regional pride. Um, and both sets of, of supporters are mostly Hindu, but, um, you know, East Bengal has become a little bit more, they maybe have some more Muslim fans as the years are progressing, which certainly adds to um, the Derby. Um, in 1975, East Bengal defeated Mohal Bungan five to nothing. One fan was in such a state of ecstasy that after the fourth goal, he had a heart attack. Um, Another tragedy befell, um, bizarrely befell 25-year-old Mohan Bagan fan um, who was so dejected after the defeat, defeat, he actually committed suicide, leaving the note, I wish to take revenge for this defeat in my next birth, returning as a better Mohan Bagan footballer. Um, in 1977, uh, in another defeat, uh, one Mohan Bagan fan uh, poisoned himself, devouring a, a bottle of pesticide. And then in 1980, uh, when a stampede killed 16 lives and injured, injured hundreds. So again, we're not celebrating any of this, but pretty wild stuff um, from a derby you probably never even heard of. Um, so, um, okay, number eight. So this is this one um, is about as challenging of a topic as I've ever dug deep into. Um, it's FK Velez versus. HSK Zrzynski. So again, the pronunciation, bear with me. It's Z-R-I-N-J-S-K-I. And this is set against the unbelievably complicated um, Dalmatian coast and Balkan region of, of modern day Bosnia, Herzegovina, Croatia, Serbia, the former Yugoslavia, Russia is involved. Um, this is... This Derby, anything that you could be polarized for, this is it. And it's set in the city of Mostar in modern-day Bosnia and Herzegovina. And the river quite literally divides Croatians, Serbian, Serbians, and Bosniaks. Um, and this one is, I mean, this is like almost like something out of Indiana Jones or something, this, this Darby. Um, so Velez is, um, now very much affiliated with the Muslim population in, in Bosnia. Um, very working class, multi-ethnic. Um, and Zerjinski is that of the West, which is very much, um, that of Croat, Croat nationalism. In fact, they're, the um their logo and their badge is has the croatian flag on it 
and it's it's associated with Croat nationalism, fascism, Catholicism. Um, it was birthed out of the World War One assassination of Franz Ferdinand. Um, going back to Velez, it is that of um, socialism, communism, associated very much with the former Yugoslavia. And the club badge is uh, a red and yellow star, very much um, unabashedly uh, paying homage to the Soviet Union and, and Russia. Um, so really setting the stage for uh, some really intense stuff. Um, you almost need a, uh, a degree in you know, political science and <laughs> geography to like really put this one all together. Yeah, I mean, There's it's so many little d different dancing pieces that go into the rivalry. Yeah, it's religion, it's politics, it's um, race, it's, um, I mean, so like Zerjinsky has kind of ebbed and flowed with fascist dictators. Velez very much ebbed and flowed with that of the Communist Party. So, you know, in the former Yugoslavia's time, Velez really thrived, and Zerjinsky was obliterated into nothingness. And then the opposite of that is when there was dictators um, in certain periods, Zerjinsky really thrived. Um, and um, so, you know, dictor, di speaking of dictators, dictators and rulers have have quite literally put an end to both clubs at different points in times, having their club uh, disintegrated, um, their their archives burned, um, you know, uh, things like that. Um, in 1929, the dictatorship abolished Velez um, after um, an assassination attempt on the uh, a successful assassination for the dictator, Velez reemerged. Um, and... Um, you know, again, in the formation of the of Yugoslavia in 1945 after World War II, um, Velez really rose to prominence. Um, uh, it, you know, and actually, um, longtime member Mesek Kramija hid the had to hide the club's archives and trophies. A secret location was lost upon his arrest and subsequent death in Sarajevo. Um, many associated with the club ended up in concentration camps and were killed in the war, um, in World War II. Um, and so again, like Velez, even to this very day, you'll see, um, they will hang signs of, uh, Che Guevara and, um, you know, um, other communist figures, um, you know, Velas to this day has a multi-ethnic, multi-religious fan base re re uh, reflecting the city's diversity. Um, but Zerzhinsky is that of predominantly Croat. Um, and, you know, they kind of are identified with the separatist mo movement, wave of nationalism, you know, a, a constant desire for Croat Croatians to step out of the shadows um, and um, have a kind of a, a culture unto, its, unto themselves. Um, and it's a, um, it's a really wild, uh, there's a Jinsky ultras or, I mean, known as the red army. Um, so also adding a lot of fuel to this Darby is that in the most recent horrible civil war in that region, not long ago, in many of our lifetimes, Velez was forced to leave their stadium and quite literally fork it over to Zerjinsky because it was, 
um, by the Bosnian-Herzegovinian government because it was in the Croatian region. And that's a wound that just won't ever quite fully heal. I mean, imagine Barcelona having to give their stadium to Real Madrid. That would never end well. I feel like in most rivalries that we've talked about previously, usually state and sport are separated. And this one, it is so intertwined. You almost you almost can't tell the story of the rivalry without bringing up all of the, uh, you know, political associations and, um, you know, events that happened in the past. Yeah, I can't really see, uh, you know, forking over, <laughs> you know, hey, Manchester United, here's the Etihad or, you know, fill in the blank. Yeah. And I mean, you know, even in the past decade, I mean, not a few years don't go by without one sets of fans stampeding the field at trying to attack the players. Um, I mean, this is probably one of the most um, heated rivalries in the world. Um, and, you know, this one is, it has dimensions of geopolitical history, ideology, profiteering, circumstances of war. Um, and in fact, to this very day, um, Away fans are allowed at games, but they have to get on a bus driven by police to even go to the game because it's so intense and violent. Um, so, okay, jumping to number nine, uh, America versus Deportivo Cali. Drugs, death, and salsa. <laughs> um, this is in Colombia. And um, Cali was started by the the upper middle class in America is very much uh, working class. Again, you've got the class warfare. Um, it's a region um, of the Cauca Valley that um, was known for sugarcane plantations. So you really had, you know, you kind of have set this backdrop of you had the Cali plantation owners and America plantation workers. Um, you know, fast forward to today, um, it's you throw in a lot of Colombian drug cartels involved too. It gets really, really intense. Um, you know, this region is known for you know constant risk of kidnapping, serious crime. Um, this region is also known as they like to boast that they're the hardest partying people in all of Colombia, which is saying a lot. Um, and you know, um, that's what, that's kind of where the, the, the salsa parts comes from. Um, you know, it's, it's, in, it's set in the heart of a guerrilla controlled countryside, um, home of the Norte del Valley cartel, the biggest drug trafficking organization in the world, whose leader Diego Montoya is currently on, um, the FBI's most wanted list. Um, you know, last year uh, saw the murder of one of the FRV's leaders. The FRV is the known as the, the ultra gangs that represent these clubs. Um, in 19, dozens died in a stampede in 1982. Um, Cali's Derby is inextricably linked to um, drugs and death and the fiery Latin passion. Um, it's in the southwest part of the country. It's the third biggest city in all of uh, Colombia. And there's it's in the middle of two huge mountain ranges, the Cordillera Occidental and Cordillera um, Central. Um, it's hot. It's there's sugar cane plantations. Um, the Ultras group, the FRV that I mentioned is broken down into seven legions around Cali, Cali each with each having a leader reporting up into a larger leader. They really uh, like to claim that they're students of um, British hooliganism, they like to really proudly 
you know, say that they're just like them. Um, and they like study those tactics even, um, in, uh, on November 17th in 1982, the rivalry came to a horrific conclusion after America and Cali drew three to three, um, reports that of drunken thugs urinating on enemy fans led to a massive stampede killing 24 people, 163 were injured. Um, and, uh, another incident in the eighties, um, similarly uh killed 47 fans i mean this is just mind-boggling stuff that mind-boggling it's just stuff out in the world you don't you've never even heard about um so some of the drug connections to the derby gilberto rodriguez uh or Uela, known as the chess player um head of the cali cartel colombia's most violent drug gang um he at one point in time controlled 80 percent of the cocaine exports to the United States earning 20 million a day. Um, it was discovered that Oriuela bankrolled America partly because he loved the game, but also partly because he wanted to uh, stick it to his rival of the Medellin cartel that uh, has some affiliation with Atletico Nacional. Um, he was arrested at one point in time, and um, Deportiva America was placed on uh, executive orders. 12798, otherwise known as the Clinton list, and he's still on it to this very day, um, which seized all of the club's assets. Um, you know, accusations of payoffs, bribery, money laundering, corruption have tarnished the club's image. And 12 years on, America is still on the Cl Clinton list. Um, so this is a, a, another really, really cool one. Um, I, again, I say cool, I mean, they're interesting. Um, you know, to, to watch and, you know, very much steeped in, in history. Um, so that was that one. Um, so we're getting towards the end here. Um, number 10 back in, uh, Merry Old England, the black country Derby of West Brom Albion versus Wolves, Wolverhampton. Um, this rivalry goes back over 140 years. Mm. Um, you know, there's many bigger, but this might be one of the oldest, most historic. Some have viewed as the most intense. I mean, it's, you know, it's in the West Midlands region of England. Um, it's, you know, it's called the Black Country Derby because it's in the land of coal that fueled the Industrial Revolution. Um, the Wolverhampton Club was originated by a company that made locks. Um, West Brom was was uh, formed out of a company that made, was a spring factory. Um, and, um, you know, during the industrial revolution, the West Mid Midlands near Birmingham made iron, steel, glass making, and there was lots of pollution in the region. Um, and in 2008, a survey of English football supporters reported that the black country Derby is the most intense rivalry in the country. Um, so much so that in starting in 1996, they cap the, the, the latest the game can start is 3 PM because if any later, the, the fans are way too drunk. Um, so they've had to, uh, um, you know, and even as recent as 2011, 2012 season, there was a blowout and a riot. West Brom won five to one and, um, about four to 500, uh, Wolves fans left the game early outside the stadium and um there was a massive riot um forcing you know major major injuries and death and twenty thousand pounds worth of damages were reported um so that's 
the first installment, guys, of 101 most dangerous Darbies, fiercest Darbies, deadliest, dastardly, whatever you want to call it. Um, but hopefully you learned something new and uh, stay with us as we continue to do 10 new every month. And um, hopefully you learned some new ones and enjoyed it. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone.